FT Weekend Food and Drink is supported by Plymouth Gin. Hi, FT Weekend listeners. Welcome to the third episode of our four-part mini-series on food and drink. For each one, I'm approaching a different expert in the food world that is really good at something, and I'm asking them to teach us about that thing. Today is a great one. I've invited Jancis Robinson onto the show. Jancis is a master of wine. She's one of the world's most esteemed wine experts. She's been doing this for over 50 years. And lucky for us, she is also the FT's wine columnist. So today she joins us from France to discuss wine trends. What's cool now, what we should be paying attention to, and why. Okay, let's get into it. This is FT Weekend, the podcast special edition. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. Here's Chances. Chances, welcome. It is so nice to have you back on the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. So we're talking wine trends. Um, the most obvious trend that we can probably start with is natural wine. What's going on there? A, a natural wine, supposedly, is, is a wine to which the maker has not added anything, ideally. So mm-hmm. it's just fermented grape juice. I mean, the, the first wines for the first few centuries uh, of humanity were, would all be natural wines. Mm-hmm. And there were quite a few of them made without too much fuss sort of in the mid 20th century. But it became a thing when it became a cause um, this century, I'd say, right. maybe 10, maybe 15 years ago. And it's it's a healthy movement because it's, anti the status quo. It's, it's mm-hmm. particularly younger people taking possession of wine. It's their sort of wine. And what I love, you're very often finding a younger generation following their parents or parent into the family wine business. Yes. And it's, it's very often the case that the next generation wants to try out using hmm. less and a sort of copy of a natural wine or a sort of wine um, of the other sorts that have become a thing like orange wine or mm-hmm. wines that aren't made in oak but are made in clay pots and going back to that kind of traditional thing. So I think that's very healthy, actually. I'm curious about this trend of aging wine in clay pots like amphora and cuvevery. Do you mind telling me more about that? And um, like, would you call it an ancient style? Uh, yes, it is ancient, but um, uh, certainly sort of clay pots and amphora are ancient. Um, and there's a lot of, you can imagine, a lot of geeky talk about exactly <laughs> what constitutes an amphora and what's a pot and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a strong desire from many wine producers today to go back in time and mm. and recreate techniques of a generation or preferably two generations ago. Uh, but the, the big trend really has been away from obvious oak. Oak right. and, and wine are very compatible and it lets in a little bit of oxygen, which is great for the wine and blah, blah. Um, but it was slightly taken to an extreme. You know, wines got too oaky. And of course, for every action, there is a reaction. So mm-hmm. now everyone's going, oh, I can't stand the smell of oak in my wine. <laughs> um, and there's been a bit of a, a movement actually back to concrete, which was a, um, a favored um, material for making wine in in like the mid, mid-20th century. And so now it's almost become fashionable not to use oak. Mm. 
how does the flavor change um, depending on these different materials? Well, if you're using oak well, you shouldn't really end up with a flavor of oak. It sh- you should be using it for its physical properties of allowing in a little bit of, of oxygen, encouraging the wine to settle, clarify, and leaching a little bit from the oak of, of tannin, the sort of chewiness. But oakiness, certainly in the 90s, became so fashionable, people actually la- really actively sought the flavor of oak, a kind of vanilla, spicy kind of flavor. Mm-hmm. And it was so popular that even in inexpensive wine, sort of mass producers were adding bags of oak chips and sort of hanging them in, in oh, kind of wow. stainless steel bats, you know, to give give it oak flavor. But I think those days are over now, especially since oakiness is, is no longer fashionable. Right. And Jancis, can you, have you been, I'm sure you have, but have you been to vineyards that are using these amphoras and cuvevries and pots? I'm just trying to envision, I mean, I looked it up online. It, it really is like a big clay Oh, yeah. Big. Pot. Yeah. How big are they? And they're Um, burying them underground. Like, what is that? (laughs) Can you help us visualize what this is? Well, it's different everywhere. I mean, for instance, in Chile and Spain, what they're doing is going back and using the the great big pots that their grandparents used, which because they couldn't afford oak barrels. I'm assuming that um, the pots are buried for temperature control reasons. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Armenia recently. My mother's ah, Armenian, and oh, they wow. are in 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 a constant battle with Georgia about of uh, where wine was invented. Yes. Who had the first winery? <laughs> um, and I did go to what the Armenians considered um, the first place of wine production, and um, it was in a cave. And there were these yes. pots. It was very. I've cool. seen the pictures. No, it's it, yeah. and they keep discovering. Um, you know, something, some fragment that's older than the Georgians. And then the Georgians discover something (laughs) that's older than the Armenians. It's a bit like um, in um, Argentina, in Salta, there was a competition for who had the highest vineyard in the world. And surreptitiously, someone would go and plant a vineyard slightly higher than the the previous (laughs) record one. (laughs) Jantis, I'm curious, um, first of all, are there any other, are there any other wine trends that we didn't talk about? Masses, um, <laughs> <laughs> just to run through a few, but, you know, lower alcohol. People, yes. everyone's looking for lower alcohol. Um, so, and there was a time when acidity in a wine was seen as, as a, a negative um, right. attribute. And now, not least because of climate change, people are looking for freshness in wine. So there's a tendency to pick grapes earlier when alcohol, resulting alcohols will be lower and acidity will be higher. Can I ask a quick question? When yeah. you say people want more acidity partially because of climate change, what's the connection? Because it's refreshing. Oh, yeah, because it's and, hotter. You know, yeah. and, and a big, heavy, alcoholic kind of soupy wine right. isn't as refreshing. Right. Acidity, if you think about it, is is the kind of nerve of so many drinks. You know, mm-hmm. it's in fruit juices, it's in tea, it's in coffee. It, it kind of perks you up. Yes, um, paler, I suppose wines are getting paler. Um, yeah. You know, no, red wine is no longer required to be deep, deep, deep colored. Mm-hmm. And it's not a sin to make a, a, a red wine that you can see through anymore. Yes. I realize I realize that I haven't mentioned 
um, so far. Of course, the massive trend to organic and biodynamic viticulture. Now we're moving on to regenerative viticulture, where mm. all of the focus is on the soil and getting as many little microbes and microflora and little bugs and worms. Everyone loves lots of worms in the <laughs> soil. There was a time when the ideal vineyard looked neat, put it right. that way. There was nothing growing between the vines and right. um, not a weed, you know. Uh, and now the, the more admirable um, vineyard looks wilder. You know, it looks more of a mess in a way. It's got many, many different things growing between between the vines. Um, so shrubbery. It's like a garden. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. cool. That's mm. interesting. I'm curious, you know, how your own taste in wine has changed over the years. Mm, that's a good question. I've, I never really liked the sort of great big heavy wines. Mm. And I've, I haven't shifted from my unfashionable position that the world's greatest white wine grape is Riesling because I know it's got a very strong flavor that some people just will never like. But yeah, I love it because it's very refreshing. It goes beautifully with food. Uh, it expresses place, which is something that wine can do more than so most other things that we eat and drink. Mm -hmm. And it has great capacity to age and become more interesting with time in the bottle, which, which is unlike an awful lot of white wine grapes. I suppose I've just got, I've always been a supporter of the underdog uh, as far <laughs> as wine is concerned. So any kind of new and undervalued region I try to support. So um, for instance, if people say to me, so what are the up and coming sources for wine? Uh, I'm a big fan of Greece and Portugal, yes. not least because they each have a fantastic array of indigenous grape varieties with strong personalities. Mm -hmm. Before we finish, I would love to do a sort of quick round with you. I'll do my best. All right, let's <laughs> do it. What is a wine that's not currently trendy but should be? Well, English still wine is getting better and better, thanks to mm. our warmer and warmer summers. Fascinating. <laughs> um, I think we'll be seeing more and more exciting wine from what we used to call Eastern Europe, you know, mm -hmm. um, Czechia, Czech, Czech Republic and, uh, and, and Armenia, of course. There are some really good wines coming out of Armenia. You're pandering <laughs> to me. <but laughs> I am, but it's true. I believe it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. What would be a great summer picnic wine? Um, what about if a uh, picnic wine for a light red that's nicely chilled <laughs> could be Sanso, C-I-N-S-A-U-L-T. Mm. A very fruity southern French grape variety that you can find a lot of in South Africa, for instance. Brilliant. Um, we're in a heat wave, and um, if we don't have wine cellars, what would you? How would you recommend we protect our wine? Oh, what a difficult one! Well, if you've got the room, just stick all wine in in the refrigerator. Really, red or or, or white, and unless you're you're in a fiercely air conditioned place, that even the red wine is going to warm up to the to a good drinking temperature scarily right. soon. Um, I always put uh, down here where it's pretty hot during the summer. I always put reds in the refrigerator before serving them. Okay. 
I looked over the other day, my apartment was 80 degrees and I looked mm. at my wine and I thought, oh no, I didn't <laughs> think about this yeah. at all. Uh, and particularly if you have leftovers, always, whatever color, always put the leftovers in the refrigerator because uh, if you leave them out, the chemical reactions involved in aging will be um, accelerated right. with heat. So just slow them down by putting them in the fridge. Jancis, thank you so much. This was a total pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the podcast from the Financial Times. If you want to learn more from Jancis, which I highly recommend, I have included a bunch of links in the show notes. You can find her weekly column on FT.com. She publishes daily on her website, JancisRobinson.com. My two favorite books of hers are The World Atlas of Wine. It's a big book full of really interesting geography. She also has this little book called The 24-Hour Wine Expert. I give it as a gift sometimes. It gives you kind of all of the essentials in a small paperback. She's got a wine course on the BBC. And finally, you can see Jancis live at the FD Weekend Festival on September 3rd in London. I'll be there too. They are doing a wine tasting with Portuguese wines. You can find me in the audience. There's a link to get tickets and a discount code in the show notes. Next week, we have Natasha Pikowitz on the show. Natasha is a three-time James Beard Award finalist for Outstanding Pastry Chef. She runs bake sales all over New York City. And she's really cool. She's going to teach us how to be creative and playful with dessert. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and tag us, or you can say hi on social media. You can find us on Twitter at FTWeekendPod, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Lila Rapp. This show was produced by Molly Nugent, executive produced by Topher Forges and Cheryl Brumley, and engineered by Breen Turner and Sam Javinko, with original music by Metaphor Music. Special thanks to Alistair Mackey. It's summer, and you know what that means. It's time for a Plymouth gin and tonic. So grab yourself a glass and some ice. Start with a pourer of Plymouth gin which is distilled using a blend of seven botanicals. Add in some tonic, then finish with a slice of orange. Now that is the perfect gin and tonic. Plymouth Gin, distilled with care and craft in England since 1793.